Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This week's sermon is called Worth the Risk, Exploring Thanksgiving. Lead pastor, Jeremy Flanagan, challenges us to consider what risks are worth taking the gospel to new grounds. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. Hi, my name is Jeremy Flanagan. I'm the lead pastor here at Pathway Baptist Church. Now, while normally at this time, if you're at home watching, you're seeing a live stream of our in-person worship services, but today, all of us are together online. We do plan to be back for our in-person services next Sunday on November 21st. And so you can join us there in person or uh, be here again for the live stream. But it's great to have each one of you today. And as you're here, you may also be wondering why I'm the person speaking, because you may have expected Larry Fincher. He was going to wrap up our series of Cold Heart Cash. Dom and Mitchell have done a great job on the first two messages in that series, and Larry was going to finish up on on this Sunday. However, we decided to go ahead and push that until the 21st so he could do that in person. And instead, you're going to get my Thanksgiving message a week early, although it's never a bad time for us to talk about being thankful. However, today's Thanksgiving message isn't simply about being thankful, but really it's more about the question of when is it worth the risk for us to step out and to do bold things, for us to take chances and put ourselves sometimes in harm's way? What makes it worthy to take that kind of step of faith in life? Because to even get to the Thanksgiving story, it took a group of individuals who were willing to do just that. And so... This year, our messages have been based on the theme of Explore. We began that back in May, and that will carry out through the rest of the fall and the spring semesters. But just the idea that we need to step out and to do great things for God. Our bottom line back in May to kick this entire year of sermons off was that God didn't put us here to coast on smooth seas. He put us here to make waves. We can accomplish much more than we think possible if we realize it's not us accomplishing anything. It is people of faith trusting that God can use them to do the things they couldn't do alone. And so that idea of explore is trying, it's permeating everything we're talking about this year. So whether it's been our our series on evangelism, whether it's the, the talks about the love God has for us, about growing our church community, Uh, stories of faith of of the people uh, of Israel wandering in the wilderness and how God brought them through, and even what we're going to finish up next week on our series about finances. Everything is the idea of what do we as children of God need to take a, a bold step on? Where does our faith need to grow? What things can we not do on our own, but we're going to have the mindset that if it's what God has in front of us, we're willing to take that next step. And so today, as we look at this story of Thanksgiving, I want to talk about exploring Thanksgiving and really what makes something worth the risk. Now, um, many different people have have heard different stories of how uh, the Thanksgiving holiday came into being, about that first Thanksgiving back in 1621. And the story uh, of Thanksgiving uh, has a lot of different pieces to it. We won't be able to hit anywhere near all of those today. But my question for you is, what made those pilgrims, what made those individuals willing to endure the hardships to even come to this country, um, where even uh, over half of their group, 52 out of the 102 passengers on the Mayflower, died in that first year? And so what made it worth the risk? I mean, that's a huge risk to come somewhere where there was very few settlements, where uh, they were going to a place that everything would start from scratch. 
and, and most people that had tried had failed? What would make some ordinary people willing to do extraordinary things? And so many people had created settlements in, in what was known then as the New World in North America, Central America, and South America. However, by far, it was mostly in Central and South America at the time. Even though Hernando de Soto had landed in Florida and had gone up all the way into Arkansas back in 1539, there were not settlements in North America. The, the only two settlements that lasted before 1600 were one in Florida and one in New Mexico. So hardly what you would call great expansion into the north. And so only those two small settlements had lasted. And so when the pilgrims landed in 1620, they were only the 15th group that had come and successfully created a settlement in what's now the United States or North America and into Canada. Only the 15th group to do that. Uh, only the fifth group to do that in, uh, in what is known as New England. And so these people stepped out to do something that almost no one in the world had accomplished. Many people had died. Many settlements had, had gone away over the previous decades. But here they are stepping out in faith. As I said, there were 102 people aboard the Mayflower. Around 40 were Puritan separatists. Now, what that was is that you had a group of people in England that did not agree with the Church of England. And they did not agree with the Church of England so much that they said, we cannot worship within this religion anymore. Now, you had Puritans that uh, were non-separatists. They decided we're staying in the Church of England and just going to try and reform it. Uh, but then you had a group that said, no, we are completely out. And what happened to them, we'll get to a little bit later, about why they, were, they felt that they were pushed out of England, ended up in Holland for a little while. And then a group of them, not all of them, but a group of them, came over on the Mayflower. So around 40 of them were Puritan separatists. Um, then uh, close to that number were crew of the ship. And then you had a handful of, of farmers and servants and other people that were recruited by the companies who financed this expedition. Because these normal everyday people didn't have the money to make something like this happen. They had to depend on some of these companies, the Plymouth Company, uh, as one example, who had had other failed settlements before this, uh, but they were betting that some group at some point was going to be able to land in the new world and create a financially stable settlement that they could profit from. And so you had these pilgrim, these Puritan separatists, you had uh, people who were, who were simply crew of the ship. Then you had these people that were coming there to farm, just trying to make a, a way of life uh, employed by this company. And that was your group on the Mayflower. And so... As they came, why did the, these separatists, why these Puritans, who then, you know, we call all of them together pilgrims, but they were really the force behind that colony. Why did they leave? There's a lot of different reasons, but mainly it was for religious freedom. They wanted to be able to have a place that they could worship as they saw fit and then create a, a culture and an uh, environment where they could raise their families uh, in freedom and feel that they could continue to worship as they saw fit. And so they landed in November of 1620 without time to build adequate shelter. I mean, even here in Arkansas, here in the middle of November, starting to get very cold in the Northeast, uh, that happens even faster. They didn't have time to build houses. They didn't have time to build almost anything. And so they spent that first winter on board the ship. Over that year, like I said, or just a few months, 
uh, during that few months of times they, they were on the ship through that first winter. Uh, like I said, 52 people died. Uh, it was a very, very harsh time, whether it was simply from cold and lack of supplies or disease that ran through the people. Most of them didn't make it. And so that, that's the first thing that you realize is that over half of them didn't even live the, the first year. And when they were finally able to get off the ship, what did they face? Well, they had to go into this new world. They had to uh, figure out ways to make agreements with and live with the, the tribes of people that were already there. They had to create a community from nothing. They had to learn how to raise and, and capture their own food and then how to, to make enough money to send back to pay off their debts. And so nothing about this was easy. Nothing was simple. Not only that, so you spend your first winter there. Half the people die. Um, out of the, the men, women, and children, um, a large portion of the women passed away. And so you had very few uh, that were still left in the colony. So you had many people who uh, had lost loved ones. Uh, William Bradford, who ended up being the governor of the colony, lost his wife that first winter. Uh, and so on April 5th, 1621, the people were off the boat and the Mayflower is ready to sail back to England. But not a single pilgrim left. The crew of the ship left and went back. But not a single one of these individuals who had come to this new land for freedom, for religious freedom, not a single one chose to go back. I, I, I don't know that we would have those same percentages. I mean, to, to think that they would come and endure all that hardship and not a single one would say, I'm walking away. Now you can say, well, maybe they had lost everything they could think is possible to lose. So why not stay? But they knew the future was uncertain. They knew the future wasn't going to really get any easier. They knew that there was hard work and there was danger and everything else ahead of them. But they stayed. One thing that we know from the writings of some of these uh, early um, you know, Puritans is that they viewed their mission, they viewed what they were doing kind of akin to the Israelites when they left Egypt. We've been talking about that recently here at Pathway, about the uh, Israelites leaving Egypt and wandering in the wilderness and trying to get to the promised land. And that's in some ways how the Puritans viewed themselves. And so it's no wonder why in the fall of 1621, after they finally had a successful harvest, after the people who were left alive had built enough to keep surviving, and after they had built friendships and they had uh, treaties, they had a 50-year um, long-standing arrangement with one of the local tribes that went very well. Um, and all of these great things were happening for them. It's no wonder that they felt it part of their duty to, to celebrate the harvest God had given and to, to thank Him for everything that He had provided. We see a passage of, uh, uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament. We see where... Uh, in the Jewish law, they were given uh, a commandment. The Israelites were given a commandment. Now that they had left Egypt, they had gone through the Exodus, they had wandered in the wilderness, and, and now they were going to be in the promised land. And, and one of the commands for them to follow when they were finally where God had promised them is to thank Him, to bring part of what God had blessed them with and to thank them. And so here we see... It says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there. Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest 
into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place your, the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at the time and say to him, with this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I've entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. O oh, now, O oh Lord, I've brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. And so I love there in verse 10 where it, the last part of the statement that you're to say out loud to God is that I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. And then in verse 11, it wraps up and it says, Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given you in your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. Of course, at this time, the pilgrims were the foreigners, but they felt that they were in their new promised land. They felt that they were finally in a place where they could have religious freedom and they could build a, a culture as they saw fit. Now, I said earlier that we get to why that they left. Why did these individuals, why did these people from England um, leave England, move to Holland, and then a decade later decide to come to America? Well, the Church of England, or the Anglican Church as it's known there, and when eventually people came over to the United States, it's, it's what we now know as the Episcopal Church here. And so, but the Church of England was completely joined together with the monarchy. And so that's why it started. The monarchy of England started it, broke away from the Catholic Church uh, in order to kind of set their own rules. And um, the person who set the rules was the king or the queen. And so if you were an individual or a group of people who said, we completely disagree with what the Church of England is teaching, you were, it was, it was virtually treason. I mean, you were defying the king or the queen. And so the, they were pretty much the theocratic ruler of the country. And what they stated for the church to follow had to be followed. And these individuals, the Puritans said, we're not good with that. Um, and so you had the group that tried to reform it within, and then you had this group that says, no, we're, we're done. We're doing our own thing. They had house churches and, and everything else, but that was looked at, that was breaking the law. And so because they refused to worship with the Church of England, um, these individuals would be fined. Uh, they would be arrested, sometimes beaten. And if you were standing in front of the monarchy and you told them, no, um, I don't see you as the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. That could get you executed. And so enduring all of these things where the government wasn't allowing people to have the freedom to worship uh, and you could be in prison or even killed uh, for doing so, that led this group to say, we're not working within the system. We need to leave. So they went to Holland. They went to the Netherlands and they stayed there uh, and for about 10 years. And so in 1609, when uh, this group left and went to Holland, uh, in around 1619, some of them started talking about, and really in 1620 and early in the year, kind of made the final arrangements that 
we don't want to stay here. Now, there were a lot of different reasons. Part of it is that uh, they had difficulty finding a, a strong financial, you know, stable footing there in Holland since they were newcomers. Uh, part of it was that their kids were now being raised in what was at that time a much more secular culture, and they didn't want that for their families. But then a large part of it too was that there was a 12-year treaty within the 80-year war between Holland and Spain. And, you know, we don't really think about this during Thanksgiving time, but here you had a group of, of uh, Puritans that left England because of religious persecution. Now they were in Holland and they said, once this treaty is over, if Spain takes back over the Netherlands, then we'll be persecuted by the Catholic Church instead of the Church of England. And so they said, we're going to risk it all. We're going to put ourselves out there, go to this new land that almost nobody has been successful at yet, but we are going to try. And so that's what they did. Um, for them, the risk was worth it, but at great, great cost. And so, you know, for us, that's, that's kind of the question today is, what are we willing to risk? We don't have to risk that much in our country, in our, in our state, in our community. We really don't have to risk that much to do anything we want to do. But still yet, we hold back so much because we aren't willing to put anything on the table. These individuals had already uprooted their families once and now we're going to a place where there was absolutely no stability or security simply to do what they felt God wanted them to do. Now, they were not perfect people. Um, you know, there are a lot of different things I would love to go into today to talk to you about the nuances of this group of settlers, to talk to you about uh, the, the history of Thanksgiving. Um, but I'm not going to force that upon you. Although, if you are on your device right now, you can uh, go over to our website, to our sermon blog. I'm, I've got a, a lot of links that I'm going to put there uh, for you to look at. Uh, that will take you to some of these stories. One of the most interesting is if you've never read about the story of Squanto, who is the Native American, that really made a huge difference and, and came in and, uh, and helped save this colony, helped save these individuals in the spring of 1621. His story is amazing. He actually was, was taken as a slave over to Spain. Um, and there he was freed by Christians where he ended up going to London and he was attached with a merchant there at the time. He learned English um, and, and worked under him and then took an opportunity to go on expedition as a translator to come back to the Americas. And so he came back to the Americas months before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. And being there, he is the individual who then came and helped them, was able to to broker peace uh, treaties with these Native American tribes to help show them the, the ways that they could hunt and trap on the land and be successful, T teaching them to, to plant you know, corn and, and maize and about which, uh, which plants and other things were good and which ones were dangerous. He is a huge reason why they were able to make it through that first year. Um, and so I'm going to have links to that story for you to read. Um, there, I'm going to have details about that first Thanksgiving you know, you had only 50 people who survived the first winter. And at the end of that fall, between September and November is when they had what we call the first Thanksgiving. And there were 90 people from this local uh, Native American tribe and their, um, you know, and their chiefs came and, and uh, they had three days. They spent three days together uh, where they ate, 
uh, probably had more deer and uh, more fish than they did turkey. Although it does say that they did get some fowl, uh, whether that's turkey or other birds. Probably did not have pumpkin pie or anything like that. But they did go and shoot guns, all right? That's actually recorded in their, their letter about that. So when I go to my dad's house and we eat turkey and then we go out and shoot guns in the afternoon, it's, it's just history. Uh, but uh, so I'll have some details about that first Thanksgiving and, and things that happened later. Also how Thanksgiving became a national holiday, how the, uh, the poet who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, how she became known as the mother of Thanksgiving and, uh, and really advocated for it to become something nationwide. Um, then I'll share a few other things about the results of the success of the Plymouth Colony and, and what that did in America, um, uh, about the fact that maybe the Puritans themselves they, weren't, they were advocates for their own freedom, but they weren't necessarily trying to blaze a trail for everybody else. But I'll, I'll have some information there that you can read about how religious freedom took hold in the United States of America, where it hadn't taken hold like that almost anywhere else before. And so, so many amazing things came out of this from a group of imperfect people who were not really prepared for the journey, but had faith that this was worth the risk. And so... My question is, what would it look like for you to be bold in your faith? What in your life would God have you do? You know, it's going to look different for every one of us. Well, you know what God wants you to do, what it looks like to, to explore in your life and to step out in boldness is going to be way different today than it was five years ago. And it's going to be way different five years from now than it is tomorrow. And so what right now do you know that God wants you to step out in faith? Like I say, our sermons have talked anywhere from evangelism to growing our, our church community to finances. And the spring we'll be talking about how to, to take new ground within our, within our families. Uh, and all of these things, where does God want you to stop saying, I know what the Lord wants, but it's not worth the risk. I know what God would have me do, but it's not worth the, the effort. What are those things that we need to say, God, I'm ready to step out? Now I want to share with you real quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and they were experiencing some very difficult times. They were under persecution for their faith and, uh, and it, was, it was hard. But here's what he told them in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. We know, or we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. Now, these verses obviously are talking about the same kind of dangerous situations, whether you're talking about the pilgrims at Thanksgiving, the, the Jews uh, wandering through the wilderness to get to Israel, missionaries who have been sent out all throughout the world. But it, it applies to us is that at some point in time, we are going to have to make choices about staying where it's comfortable 
or being willing to step out in boldness and to do what God wants us to do, even with the risk of comfort to ourselves. And this finishes in verse 14. He says, We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, read Psalm 100. It is five verses of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. Two, ask what God would have you to do that requires taking new ground in your life. Make the decision to step out in faith and let God give you something new to be thankful for in 2022. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.